Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, we're going to be talking about Season 2 of Arrow. Once again, this is going to be a spoiler-filled discussion, so if you haven't seen the whole thing, go pick it up on Blu-ray or DVD, watch it, and then come listen to this, because we're not going to hold anything back. And apparently, uh, you need to pick it up on Blu-ray or DVD immediately, or wait a week or two to get to see it on Netflix, which I was reading about, just hints about on the web. I'm not sure why Netflix has delayed until early October with their streaming of season two, but I thought that was an interesting wrinkle for Netflix subscribers. That implies to me a certain amount of which channel is is doing better and trying to give their incentive uh, a reason to get the DVDs and Blu-rays initially. Get that first week or two of release uh, or month or whatever then let it go to streaming versus if the day it's it's available in in physical form at the the stores you can stream it less incentive well see i'm not a netflix subscriber so i don't know if for the streaming do you get the bonus features and the special features which is why i pick up the dvds and like today we just watched the journey from vigilante to hero which for that feature alone it was certainly worth picking up Mm mm-hmm yeah, I, I, again, I don't do a Netflix either, as you well know. Uh, so that's a good question. I'm sure some listeners out there do. I would be curious what they see as the benefit of, you know, do they get the extra features, be it either on Netflix or on like the Amazon Prime or something like that? Yeah. So we have, as you, uh, you were kind of alluding to, watched the special feature for the uh, Hood Hero. We also watched uh, what you had edited together of the flashback scenes for the second season. That totaled up to about two hours again. Yeah, and this time uh, there were two episodes that had scenes that did not take place on the island. So I had removed that. And one of those was flashbacks for Diggle, right? Yes, Diggle meeting his wife in the uh, war zone. Uh, I forget if it was Afghanistan or uh, I Iraq. Think so, whichever. And what was the other one? Uh, the other one was actually um, Laura and Sarah in the Lance apartment when their parents were still happily married. That's right. We got a little flashback there. Yeah, and I just decided since... They weren't on the island, and in the case of the Lance family, since it didn't fit into the time sequence, there was I pulled it out. Also one, I, th- I thought second season, where it, f- and maybe it wasn't a full flashback sequence, where it went to before his trip to the, the, the island at all, where he had the kid. That was, yes, that was also this season, you are correct, and all I right. pulled that out. So once again, the island scenes had very much a progression from where he starts there to to where that ends. Very much a solid through line. A lot more characters involved this year. Yeah, and in fact, this year the island was even more of an ongoing movie plot. Whereas first season, the first, I'd say, 20 minutes was more um, almost short bursts of story where Mm -hmm. you could tell they weren't 100% positive. They had the full season locked. So while it was part of the overarching arc, 
it was more self-contained in those bursts. Well, and one of the extras on the the season one set, one of the executive producers, I forget which one, had mentioned that they weren't sure that the the flashback stuff was going to really click with the audience. Because mm-hmm. often you do it for a little bit and it just doesn't work. You move on, you do something else. But here it was really working, so they dove in deeper with it. Mm-hmm. So I think they're continuing with that. And then, of course, at the end of the whole thing, uh, Ali has been rescued uh, from uh, uh, the, the freighter, which is a little weird because it looks like it, it sunk right there on the island uh, just off the coast. But he's picked up by Amanda Waller, and he's in Hong Kong, which is where he's going to, the flashbacks presumably are going to be on the third season. Yeah, and he's the only one who seems to have been rescued. And Sarah, it looked like she really practiced that how you get swept off of a ship uh, through the water scene. I'm wondering if, be it sometime third, fourth, or or fifth season, because they've got a five-year plan. If there's going to be a moment where she's got to get on another boat and she's like, you know, every time I do this, they sink. Oh, really? I get sucked right out. Oh, it's not that. But no, trust me. No. Yeah. If there's a lot they could do there. It would be fun. When she got sucked out of the freighter, it really was just not exactly, but so close to how she got swept out of the Queen's Gambit. I was like, really? Well, one of the things I kind of want to start this discussion with, because we talked a little about it with the, the season one is how many characters they've pulled in from the comics. Because in the course of Season 2, we get a lot more. We get Black Canary. We get uh, Roy Harper. We get Brother Blood. uh, We get some others. So I've pulled up the Wikipedia page for the list of characters for Arrow. And I thought I'd just kind of run through. We'll we'll go through a little of Season 1 real quick. Um, we get uh, John Diggle's former wife, Audrey Marie Anderson, who played uh, Lila Michaels, uh, agent of Argus. Uh, her code name is Harbinger, and she leads the Suicide Squad. This character is not is kind of sort of out of the comics and not. This version, I mean, Diggle didn't exist in the comics, so, you know, whatever. But there was a character named Lila called Harbinger from Crisis on Infinite Earths. And obviously we've got the Suicide Squad. So they're certainly bringing in pieces of, of comic you know, lore and stuff, but but doing new things with it. Well, and the show has used that character very well as a go-between mm-hmm. for our main characters and Argus. So I think bringing her in and using her that way has been a very good writing technique. Oh, and also a great casting choice. She did a great job on the unit, and she's mm-hmm. doing a great job in, in Arrow. So I, I just applauded all the way around. Well, and having her as the ex-wife of Diggle and current love interest, if you will, of Diggle has really worked out nicely. Well, you get the relationship stuff and as an agent of Argus, it ties that aspect. Mm -hmm. And Argus was pretty much new from the New 52 a couple of years ago. I'm trying to think if it was, I I think it existed a little before then. Maybe I'd have to double check. I hate the the acronym or whatever. It just, it, it doesn't work for me. Well, and I'm not sure they've gone to much length to explain to viewers like myself what Argus stands for. I'm pretty sure they have not because it's, um, yeah, there's not a link to it right here, unfortunately. It is an acronym for uh, American uh, Resource Group uh, United for Superheroes or something. It, it, It was a really awkward acronym in the comics. It's essentially their version of S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay. And in the comics, uh, Steve Trevor's a member of it, one of the lead people, the equivalent of Nick Fury, if you will. Okay. 
So, you know, I, I get they need that sort of an organization. I just think they could have come up with it. I, I would have used Checkmate myself, which is a series, uh, a government agency that started as a series back in the 90s, had some really cool uh, outfits or costumes for the uh, the knights, the agents. But they had pawns, they had rooks, they had different levels a pawns, a support person or somebody out in the field who gets the car, you know, mm-hmm. puts it where it needs to be for the hero, that kind of stuff. Um, I think, frankly, that's what I would have done. But they didn't, so, oh well. Um, other characters they have brought in, obviously we had uh, the Huntress uh, in the first season. We had Eddie Fries, who was, again, like I mentioned uh, in that episode, part of the Connor Hawk uh, continuity. Uh, Count Vertigo, which is a... a I'm pretty sure originally a Green Arrow villain, but notably a Green Arrow villain. Um, remember when um, Laurel was working as a district attorney? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kate Spencer, I believe, was her boss. Mm-hmm. That is the name of a character who in the comics was like the fourth or fifth uh, Manhunter. So she had her own comic and stuff like that for a while. Uh, and her power set was basically having stolen from the police lockup in evidence room, various people's weapons and so forth and assembled her own thing and was a, a an attorney who by night went and fought crime. Not a bad thing. Obviously, she isn't going to be showing up again since they killed her off, but it, at least is, is using similar characters and whatnot. Uh, obviously, China White from early on, that was Kelly Hu's character. Um, she, I believe, was introduced in Arrow Year, Green Arrow Year One when they really dove into the island stuff to begin with. She might have existed before that, but I don't think so. Other ones we got first season, uh, Wintergreen we mentioned uh, in the previous episode, Deadshot, um, big, big uh, connection with, with John Diggle and such. And according to the Wikipedia page, he was working under a Hive contract. Hive, another acronym. They, they love the acronyms for the, the group sometimes. It's essentially along the lines of uh, AIM or HYDRA or anything where you've got an evil organization with a bunch of underlings and ground troops and stuff like that. I don't know that it's taking that same form whatsoever in, in the, the Arrow show, but again, trying to pull some of the stuff in there. Now, what's interesting with Hive, uh, with Slade, and we'll get to uh, the other two in a minute, of uh, Brother Blood and Ravager, all of those are primarily Teen Titan villains. Hmm. Specifically, New Teen Titans, uh, the Wolfman Perez era in the 80s, that really put DC back on the map. Now, pulling them into an Arrow show, interesting, implies they've got a lot more latitude than just what was in a Green Arrow comic. Um, But now with talk of a Titans show on TNT... Is kind of, you know, making that pool a little bit shallower as to what they can necessarily be able to, whether they can bring those characters in or not. Does it make sense to bring them in um, when they've just been done on Arrow so well? Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens there. Another one from the first season. Actually, that was pretty much it for the first season ones that uh, I note here that were, were brought in for the comics. Now, in uh, season two, we get Amanda Waller, we get uh, Professor Ivo. Um, now, Amanda Waller uh, was the one who leads Suicide Squad, major government player in the DC Comics stuff. Um, Professor Ivo, primarily a Justice League villain, known for creating a uh, robot called Amazo, which is what the name of the freighter was this season. And that thing had the ability to duplicate the powers of the Justice League. Mm-hmm. 
And it's kind of funny because sometimes what they would do is they'd send somebody like uh, Green Arrow up against him, no powers to duplicate, um, which I'm sure he loved in the comic too. But it worked pretty well. Now, I would like to suggest for anyone who's already watched this season and thought, you know, the guy playing Ivo really did a good job. If you want to see that actor's range, go to YouTube or go to the Hallmark Channel's website and look for a trailer for the TV show Cedar Cove. That's right. He's got another show coming out. He's now in his second season on Cedar Cove and he's playing a recovering alcoholic newspaper reporter with uh, just, you know, a little scruffy, not quite beard going on, living in a very small town who cracks a lot of jokes and is very laid back and is about as unthreatening and univo as you can get. Sounds interesting. I, I haven't kept caught it, so we may want to watch that at some point. It's an excellent show based on some novels, and I read one of the books, and he's just captured that character out of the books brilliantly. I knew he had something. I thought it was an upcoming show, not an existing show. Uh, He was also in the Babylon 5 Legend of the Rangers TV movie, uh, the lead actor there, uh, playing the, the lead human ranger on that, did a great job. He was also in Hyperion Bay with uh, Mark Paul Gossler. That's the one I was trying to think of the name of. Yeah, he's done a lot of great work over the years. That uh, Hyperion Bay was uh, a poorly named uh, show about essentially a Silicon Valley type of company, but out in some guy's hometown, and he played the brother of the guy who brought the the company in. Um, So great, great actor tons of range yeah. very well used here oh yeah um and was the equivalent to uh kind of the role eddie fries played uh in the first season of threat on the island yes exactly and actually that's why i was grateful to see amanda waller come in and say welcome to hong kong was i did kind of wonder how many big bad threats we were were we gonna have on the deserted island well and it it puts a very different spin third season on who's making Oliver's life, you know, in the past hell. Yes. And how. And this is going to be a very different way because he's going to be working presumably for her, albeit reluctantly, but not entirely reluctantly. It's not like she he's necessarily going to be directly threatened. So I'm, I'm, I'm real curious how the flashback scenes play out in the third season. Well, and we've already accounted for some of how he learned some of the Chinese. Uh, yeah. One of the characters from the freighter had offered to teach him the Russian, and we knew was uh, in with the Russian mafia. Uh, We saw him find the arrowhead that he gave Thea back in the pilot. He found it on the island here in second season. There have been lots of, uh, I'm torn between calling them callbacks in the flashbacks and explanations. It's a little of both. It's, it's, it's kind of bookending some stuff in a weird way. Yeah. I'm kind of expecting the flashback sequences third season to really go into more of his training and where he picks up some of the skills that you just wouldn't expect somebody stuck on an island for five years to have acquired. Well, and in the second season, he, he gained a lot of skill, but not really control and the moral compass. He, he was very conflicted. Well, in the, the Hood to Hero special, they were talking about how in the present day second season, he's going from the the dark killer to the more heroic. 
and they wanted to kind of counterbalance that with almost a descent into darkness yeah. in the flashbacks. And we very much got that. He was very much conflicted, killed a number of people, mm-hmm. and was becoming um, the 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 darker shades of, of Oliver that we would see later. Yeah, and I, I think having Argus step in at this point is a good training step for him. Because you need a drill master, if you will, a drill instructor to come in and counsel him on you kill at the right time, if you will. Well, to, to reinstill the moral compass. Yes. So there's a lot they can do there, a lot I'm hoping they do there. And with the scenes we got this season with the Suicide Squad and, and with Argus and stuff, it really sets the stage for a lot of that. Well, and I was surprised how much I liked the Suicide Squad. Well, let's let's talk about yeah. them for a moment because in addition to Deadshot, we got um, we got Bronze Tiger a, mm-hmm. a couple of times, and he's actually I think a little more super heroic in terms of powers in the show maybe than even in the comics because in the comics he's he's I don't say a martial artist, glorified martial artist, but more of that type, um, strong guy fighter. Here he's able to be knocking arrows out of you know in flight sort of a thing. And he's got the Wolverine-like claws or whatever, which, yeah, all right, fine. Um, but we also got um, Shrapnel, who, uh, in the comics, very different character. He is somebody made, literally, of Shrapnel who can explode and reassemble himself. Oh, that's kind of freaky. Whereas here, he just blew some stuff up and died pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so, not much there. Um, I don't have in front of me, this is showing recurring guest mm. stars. I'd have to go, actually, let me see if I've got uh, the Suicide Squad episode in the list of episodes here. Yeah, because at Fan Expo, Stephen Amell had joked that it would be nice to take, you know, a four or five, maybe even a six episode break in the middle of the season and let them do a little May series on Suicide Squad. And, you know, not to say I don't want Arrow for six episodes, but... If they were going to give a miniseries to any of the villains or lesser characters that we've seen, I'm surprised how much I enjoyed Suicide Squad, and I would be curious to see what Argus and Suicide Squad did for a six-episode miniseries. I certainly think it's prime for a spinoff because you would have uh, Deadshot and Waller as as the lead Mm -hmm. recurring, and then you could be swapping in and out every other week. Well, and Deadshot... Over the course of the episodes that we saw him in, he was humanized. I won't go so far as to say he was redeemed, but he... He became more likable. Yes. And that's more or less the progression the character went through in the comics, too. Because he was one of the few recurring, uh, really hallmark characters of the Suicide Squad comic. In the, the various volumes, and there have been three or four... You usually, almost always have Amanda Waller as as the the behind-the-scenes leader. Um, Usually have Deadshot as as one of the lead gunners, if you will. Um, Captain Boomerang is another one. He's a a, a Flash villain, of all things, Mm -hmm. who in the comics was a mascot of a boomerang-making company. Uh, Things didn't go so well. It was around the Frisbee era, if you will, when he was created, I believe. Um, And he wound up up just uh, committing crimes and so forth, became part of the rogues gallery for the Flash. 
Now, what's interesting is on the Wikipedia page, it says here that they have cast uh, Nick Tarabay, who played Digger Harkins, uh, uh, Harkness, uh, you know, based on the Captain Boomerang character, uh, former Argus operative, highly skilled in martial arts and espionage. Now, I'm not saying we're going to get another Suicide Squad episode, but I'm willing to bet. It'd be nice. I mean, the fact that Deadshot went from an assassin that I would have been just as happy to see them ride out the first mm-hmm. time we saw, to someone that Diggle did not want to see killed the last time we saw him. And Diggle had good reason to hate him the well, first time we saw him. because the guy killed his brother, yeah. You know, that that was an impressive progression for that character. Well, yeah, they, they, they used the character well to not only tell some entertaining stories, but to get one of the characters from point A to point B effectively over time. And, you know, again, it ties into how Diggle met his wife, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it plays out well. Now, in the, the episode here, we we get reference to or allusions to Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, a name on a, a door. We hear the voice, but we don't see anyone. I was thinking somewhere on, and it may have been one of the Wikipedia articles I was going through, or it might have been on Facebook um, where I saw a, a cast photo presumably taken by somebody or posted by somebody like Stephen Amell, which had very Suicide Squad people, including somebody with the white face that Harley Quinn would have. Hmm. So I think we may be getting that season three. Interesting. But some of the other characters we got were not so much major heroes or villains so far, but obviously they, they spent a fair amount of time setting up the Flash TV show. And I was really impressed by the number of episodes that he was in in a supporting role and establishing the character as a person and stuff that you know, that was more than your basic ordinary backdoor pilot yeah no this is very much we're going to integrate the shows it's going to tie into the continuity it's going to matter mm-hmm. they established star labs they set up not only Barry Allen well mainly Barry Allen I guess because mainly. did we get no I guess near the end we got um did we get... Uh, we uh, got the others when they helped make the cure for Mirakuru. That's what it was. That's when we got Caitlin Snow, who's going to become... Who, in the comics, becomes Killer Frost. And Cisco Ramon, who, in the comics, is the Justice Leaguer known as Vibe. So, they've set those up. And there's talk in the Flash of we may get Firestorm. We may get just a, a, a ton of people. The other one that's interesting is... It, well, third season, we're supposed to get... Um, Ray Palmer, who's going to be played by um, the guy who played Superman. Oh, I know. Brandon Ruth. There you go. Thank you. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's interesting is we got Gene Loring as the attorney for Moira. Mm. Now, she was played by uh, Terrell Rotherly from Stargate SG-1. Mm-hmm. Um, but the character in the comic is the wife slash ex-wife of Ray Palmer, the Atom. Mm. So whether those two meet up or any, I doubt it. I think they just do. We need a lawyer. She was a lawyer in the comics. Let's pull her in. That sort of a thing. You know, and only because I can mention it, Terrell Rothery is also over on Cedar Cove. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Um, um, again, great actress on uh, on SG-1 and stuff. Did a great job on Arrow. But just yeah. the number of characters that they're pulling in. I mean, in addition to all of these that were just recurring um, well, and some guest of, stars, actually. Some of those ones that guest starred back in season one, they brought in again in season two. And I like that that's something the show does. People don't appear once and get forgotten. 
Well, some of the ones that showed up more often included, um, let's see, Brandon Ruth we talked about. Uh, will be recurring. Will be recurring. Uh, Sin, who showed up a lot. Um, she's part of the Black uh, Canary comic book mythos of more recent years. And I liked the introduction of her back on the island. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I will forgive the writers the coincidence that the plane, the one airplane that happens to crash on the island. Well happens to have a pilot from the one city that our people happen to be from because did he say he was from starling i think it was just my daughter has nobody go look after yes that's that's very true that's true because i had taken it that sin followed um uh sarah back to star that's an interesting point okay that's an interesting point. I, it's I been had, a while since I've watched those episodes. That's true. I had always just assumed that Sarah found Sin there, but you're right. They never actually established where Sin grew up. Okay, you win. Um, other characters, obviously Shadow, uh, who was on the islands uh, both seasons, um, recurring and uh, major from the comics and stuff. Uh, Longbow Hunters is where she originated. She was a great character. Now, Longbow Hunters, for those unfamiliar, that was a three-issue uh, prestige format comic book series that kind of redefined Green Arrow. Not quite the way they've got Arrow here, but much more along the lines. It was, we're getting rid of the boxing glove arrows and the trick arrows and the stun arrows, that kind of stuff. We're going back to, he is an archer. He has bows with nice, shiny, you know, pointy little sharp tips at the front. Mm-hmm. They hit somebody, they go through somebody, they hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is a hunter. And this was uh, Mike Grell and stuff. Really well done. It introduced uh, Shadow uh, to the mythos. And like you said, major turning point for the character. She was one of the best mentors for Oliver back in the island phase of his growth. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed watching her not just train him in how to be an archer, etc., but in the things she taught him, you know, when Slade says, if someone doesn't go talk to him, he's going to be messed up mentally. The the island sequences would have been fundamentally different if she had either not been there or died off early and it had just been Slade and Ollie. Yes. Yes. It, it, it could have been a fun buddy comedy kind of a thing for a bit, but it, it, she needed to be there to kind of balance them out. Well, yeah, because Slade was morally lacking. And Shadow compensated for that. Yeah. Now, the two other villains they introduce in the, the, the modern time, uh, present day stuff, in season two were um, Brother Blood, Sebastian Blood, the one who played the Alderman and had the whole arc there. Again, major Teen Titans villain. In, in there, he's got the whole blood fixation thing. He's part of a 700-year-old cult, all this kind of a stuff. And, and does he have any connection... To uh, Slade Wilson's... Daughter? No, no. 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 Slade Wilson's... Uh... Mirakuru? No. Yeah. Oh, that. No. No connection to that whatsoever. Um, this was a character introduced in the New Teen Titans run shortly after the Judas contract story. So around issue late 30s or around issue 40 or whatever. Um, Judas contract is where uh, Dick Grayson stops being Robin becomes Nightwing. They introduce um, Jericho, uh, Joe Wilson, Slade's son. But the, the main crux of the story is Tara, a, a, a recent addition to the Teen Titans, has betrayed the team. She was planted there by Slade Wilson. Mm. So the whole thing is a Terminator story. He's going and just taking out the team one by one. 
and frankly, thematically, somewhat similar to what Slade's doing to Ollie yeah. in this thing. Let's plant somebody in the company, take the company over, let's go destroy his life piece by piece. Yeah. So, while they're pulling from a completely different story, and I'm not saying what they did in season two was the Judas contract, thematically it's got strong similar overtones and whatnot, that it, it's fun to see how they've they've really leveraged both, uh, you know, in that case, uh, uh, Slade Wilson and such, and fitted into the Arrow mythos uh, so well, but also, you know, tweaked some of the other aspects of the story. Now, Brother Blood, again, similar-ish to how he was used at that point. I think it was Dick Grayson that was kind of, you know, mesmerized by him and almost converted or whatever into the, the Church of the Blood, whereas this time it was it was Roy Harper. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, because Roy Harper was a Teen Titan. But in my mind, he's he's kind of like the, uh, I don't even want to say the fifth Beatle or something. At times, he's been a leader of the team, whatever, but he's he's one of the lesser, he's not, he's like Wesley Crusher on Next Generation. Mm. Is he part of the main cast or not? Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Depends which season you're talking about, when you ask, who you ask, what you mm-hmm. think. Um, but the fact that they've dived so deep into the, the Titans mythology because again, when they brought in uh, Summer Glau to play you know, Isabel Rokov or Rochev, uh, who becomes um, essentially Ravenger, you know, with the Mirakuru and stuff, again, that's straight from the Titans comics. See, and I I loved Summer Glau's performance. I thought she did great with it. But what I would not give to see her just take a straight up girl next door supporting drama role with no turning crazy no turning villainous just plain jane normal for an entire season yeah just to show she can do it (laughs) yeah she needs to play a non uh psychotic psychically or you know disturbed person uh, because she could do that great but most of the roles she's had even if you go back to the season she was on the unit yes exactly yeah I just would like to see her show that she can just do normal because she does extraordinary so well and out of the box so well that I think people have forgotten she can play normal. I I forget which network it is, but one of the Hallmark ones is renaming to the Hall. I guess it's Hallmark Movies. Yes. Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. She needs to get some stuff on there where she's playing... Again, the, 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 the lady next door or whatever, mm-hmm. who doesn't break out into kung fu, doesn't go stab people in the middle of the night or do, you know, play is just the more normal, oh my God, everything around me is crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. She could, she, she, terrific actress. She the could one, do wonderful at that. The one movie of the week that I saw her in, uh, she killed her husband on the honeymoon on a cruise ship. And that's the sort of role I think we're saying she needs to get a little further away from. Yes. The detective spent the whole movie trying to figure out was it an accident or did she do it on purpose? Mm-hmm. And even in the final 60 seconds, I don't think the detective could decide. And it's a credit to Summer Glau that her performance was so good that neither could I. Yeah. But well, yeah, I'd like to see her do something normal because she was great in this. But, but again, know. it's uh, the tough fighting woman that she's played a couple of times and does it great don't get me wrong i, I loved her in the terminator mm-hmm. uh the sarah uh, uh connor chronicles and in obviously firefly and stuff like that so mm-hmm. she just needs to to break out a little mm-hmm. one of the other characters they're going to introduce in third season is katana um who is a member or, of the outsiders 
recently had a short-lived comic, I guess it went 10 issues, a Japanese uh, woman wielding a katana, hence the name Katana, because it would be weird to be called Katana and have like a billy club or something, I don't know, it'd just be funny. Um, I saw that coming. Yeah, I know you did. (laughs) So they're bringing a lot of stuff from the comics in. Now, I actually have a question along those lines, though. Because um, one of the plot lines I still haven't decided how I feel about is this whole season long, really, with uh, Laurel. She broke, and uh, she she got into alcohol, which was a gateway to the painkillers, and by the end of the season, her dad got her going to AA meetings. Is that from the comics, and why did they do it? Thematically, and- yes, but really the substance abuse stuff in the comics is Roy Harper. That, as we saw in the special features from the first season, mm-hmm. was one of the really big storylines back in the Green Arrow, uh, Green Lantern uh, run of, of comics. Where and they they this is one of the one few at the time that weren't uh, didn't go through the comics code. Mm. It's like you can't talk about drugs, and they decided let's talk about it. Let's take it seriously. Roy's going to be a junkie. Let's let's deal with the ramifications. See, and I totally agree that it is a topic that should get coverage and should be dealt with. I just wasn't sure she was the character that I wanted to well, see dealing with it, especially since Thea had already been through it. And we had already kind of touched on it with Roy. And quite frankly, the Mirakuru seemed like it was also that kind of storyline this season. I, I would agree with that. What I think they almost could have, I don't know, should have done, but could have done, is if... Thea had kind of relapsed or whatever, and um, and and Laurel helped her get through that mm-hmm. because in the comics, Black Canary was part of the the Green Lantern Green Arrow series at the time and was very much helping Roy get through that. Mm-hmm. So, is it straight from the comics? Yes and no. In so much as what they did with Deathstroke echoes what happened in the Judas Contract, it's clear that the executive producers, the creators, the writers have read a lot of these comics, understand a lot of these comics, understand what works, what to tweak, what what not to tweak. Yeah. You know, and... I just, of all the characters they could have put through that story arc, I was disappointed it was Laurel who broke in that fashion, who responded to Tommy's death that way, and went down that path. I think it was a little more than just Tommy's death, but I think it also echoed father was a substance abuser is mm-hmm. that going to fall under the daughter it plays on that relationship she was going through a really rough time it allowed her sister uh, who's now back you know to to play into that mix there was a lot of aspects were just what she had been going through over you know the course of that first year and it did humanize her character yeah. she had seemed a little too perfect in season 1 so i kind of get it i just I expect that they needed to go through that to, like you said, to kind of break the character so she can be rebuilt. And I'm expecting over the course of seasons three, four, and five, she's going to get trained up to where she can become Black Canary. Mm-hmm. Well, now, and what that means isn't going to be too good probably for her sister. Very the true. current Black Canary. Very true. Well, and as you pointed out, she and Detective Lance had some really good scenes and really good relationship-building yeah. moments in season two. You know, I I think it'll be a long time before I forget her asking her father about the time, I think it was, when she realized that her sister was Canary. 
basically a did you know and how do you keep the secret and yeah do you know who Arrow is and why would you keep the secret? And I think I know something. And he's saying, I don't want to know anything I don't already know. And I'd rather be in jail than say anything because what they're doing is important and needs to be done. Well, and that was one that kind of echoes back to the whole uh, Commissioner Gordon Batman. Does he know? Does he not? And a lot of times the way uh, a number of writers have dealt with it is he's never asked himself the question. Mm. Who is Batman? Interesting, yes. Okay. Could he figure it out? Yeah, he's he's the commissioner of the Gotham Police. He's smart. In this case, Detective Lance, could he figure it out? Yeah. In this case, has he almost certainly, you know, even before he gets told certain things, he's got all the pieces. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it just comes down to, does he stop and think about it? And in the Hood to Hero uh, featurette, they talked about how, and I think it was... His, uh, um, Oh, Stephen Amell? Stephen Amell, thank you. Blanking on the name. It's like we just watched the whole thing on Uh He was talking about how the writers apparently hate the whole secret identity thing. Oh, yes. Yeah. And it's like, I get it. Um, and, and their solution is, oh, bring a few more people into the fold. It's like, okay. Um, mm-hmm. But I also like how while in first season Ollie was taking it seriously, there were also aspects of it. He didn't let it get in the way. Gee, I spilled coffee on my my thing. Can you look into it? And it's got bullet holes. Mm-hmm. Somebody's gonna figure that out. He knows it. It's like, but I just need the pretense. So it's it's the pretense of it. And again, the way they bring Felicity in, you know, even further in this, the way they use Diggle, uh, they they pull in Roy uh, throughout the course of the season. You know, both as just the arrow pulling him in, and then later Ollie, you know, confronting him and trying to train him up. Also echoing the whole Miracruru storyline that that. Uh, was happening on the island. Mm -hmm. They've got some really good writing. They tie things together nicely. Well, and in this behind-the-scenes special where they were talking about kind of the importance, the significance, the meaning of a mask, Mm -hmm. and how at first he didn't have a mask. He was putting the grease paint on his face and kind of the evolution to when he got a mask. Yeah. Well, and... and the mask, the hero with the mask and no cape, versus the hero without the mask and the cape. Different kinds of heroes. Mm-hmm. And with with other characters, you know, Batman, Spider Man, uh, Superman, there is a very well defined gallery of villains to pick from. Mm. And the hero is defined by the villains. And with Green Arrow, he's had hundreds of issues. And if I had to, you know, say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I have to pick the villains for the next season or some such, who would I pick? I'd probably have to do a little bit of research. It's like, okay, who are classic? You can't name the Lex Luthor of the series. Exactly. It's not even Lex Luthor of the series. It's you've got Lex Luthor, Bizarro, you've got uh, uh, Brainiac. I mean, you could just go on with Batman. You've got the Joker, the Riddler, the Penguin, you know, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Uh, with the Flash, you've got the Rogues Gallery. You know, Heatstroke, uh, Captain Cold, Captain Boomerang, the Top, Gorilla Grodd. You know, you could just start the Trickster, just start naming them off. And with with Green Arrow, you've got Merlin, you've got Count Vertigo. Beyond that, in terms, I mean, yes, they added some newer ones and some recent runs, but none that are just yeah, that that's a Green Arrow. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, because if you look at like the the, well, the, the Flash villains, a lot of them, Grodd being the exception, are people who have uh, a signature weapon. Mm. The weather, weather wizard has his wizard wa- his weather wand. 
Captain Boomerang his boomerangs, except, you know, Captain Cold his his cold gun. With um, uh, with with Batman, they're all psychically dis- not psychically, but mentally disturbed in some way. I would agree with that. You know, the Joker, the 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 Riddler's fascination with the Riddlers, the Penguin's obsession with birds, Catwoman's obsession with with cats, and some sort of personification of that. Mm-hmm. With Spider-Man villains, a lot of it is kind of animal-based. The scorpion, the mm-hmm. rhino, Doc Ock, the vulture. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly not all of them, but a lot of them. And, again, with Green Arrow, you don't have that. So, does it make sense for them to be pulling in related stuff? Birds of prey, hunters, black canary, certainly. In black canary... That's a key part of the ba- the uh, the the Green Arrow mythos. No two ways about it. They married at one point. I mean, geez. Um, to bring in Suicide Squad. Okay, that's f- much further afield. There's no real. Yeah, they're connected by this. Mm-hmm. You know, even uh, excluding that aspect of it, bringing in Deadshot. He's a Batman villain. Mm-hmm. He makes okay. sense to bring in because you know, uh, an archer versus a guy with a gun. Okay, that's interesting. That makes sense. Um, bringing in Katana next season. Another person who's got a signature weapon. Okay, that makes sense. Deathstroke? Not one that just leaps out of, oh yeah, obviously. And they've had a a few meetups in the comics and stuff, but really, there's a stronger connection between Roy Harper and Slade Wilson Mm -hmm. than Oliver Queen and Slade Wilson. You know, certainly between Roy and, um... Uh, uh, in the comics, uh, Rose Wilson, who was Ravager, which is not the character Summer Glau was playing, but the villainess she kind of became. Okay. And what's interesting is the connection there is she was in the New Teen Titans, or not New Teen Titans, it was New Titans, or one of the, the later on series. She was the babysitter, babysitter slash nanny for Leanne, which was Roy's daughter, which he had with Cheshire. Cheshire is a assassin poison uh, based uh, one named Jade, who I wouldn't surprise me if we see with the League of Assassins that uh, Black mm. Canaries hooked in with. She was a member there. What's interesting is in the Young Justice cartoon that was voiced by Kelly Hu, who of course played China White in Arrow. So it all comes full circle somehow. Six degrees of comic books, something like that. Yeah, um, but. I mean, you just look at all of the things they've pulled in, some just by name, some tangentially, whatever. But they did all of this so far in the course of two seasons. Mm-hmm. So, what, 20 episodes a season, I think? So, 40 episodes, thereabouts? Thereabouts. Give or take. 40, 44 episodes, somewhere in there. Um, And certainly they have more screen time than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. Maybe not as much as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., plus three Iron Man movies, two Captain America movies, two Thor movies, uh, a Hulk movie, actually two. You know, it, it starts to add up. It's, yeah. it's, it's a wash. But I think they've actually built up as much or more, you know, focusing on a solo hero. Arrow has built their universe. They've told me most of what I need to know to understand it. Has there any been any... Ha- has there been any point at which you're like, okay, I am just, what am I missing? No, not to that degree. I mean, I have wondered what does Argus stand for, a few things like that. But, you know, never have I thought I can't understand what's going on because I don't know what Argus stands for. Mm-hmm. I've just wondered, okay, someday they'll tell me, right? And I think at one point they did mention it here or there. Or it was on a wall yeah, or exactly. something like that. But it's more a... 
I know what it does. I know what the CIA is. I don't need to know what it stands for necessarily. Exactly. And actually, at times, I kind of felt like I had a clearer picture of what Argus did than S.H.I.E.L.D. That's fair. That's fair. From seeing the few Argus missions, because it was very concrete missions. Whereas S.H.I.E.L.D., well, and that, again, going to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that series, S.H.I.E.L.D. is something that is this monolithic, it's everywhere, and then suddenly it's nowhere. It's the size of it is is indeterminate and inconsistent. Well, and we're watching one team that is supposedly the best of the best, so they have cherry-picked missions. So they're not always they're not like the FBI team that always goes out on hostage negotiations True. or always goes out. But they're to... so autonomous as to may as well not be Shield. Yeah, and we'll do an episode on Agents of Shield. I think we need to at some point. I've I've ordered the Blu-ray set of episodes and we'll watch the special features on that um it's a good show but i think arrow is just shield is a show that i felt got better after winter soldier hit the theaters yes because it gained focus and a destination let's talk about that because both shows uh, had kind of crossovers if you will uh agents of shield very much stop here watch captain america winter soldier come back Mm mm-hmm Okay, we did that, saw it in the theater, it was great, turned mm-hmm. the show around. Or that was around yes. the time the show turned around, I should say. Yeah. Arrow, however, instead of going kind of back to the movie roots like Shield did, which Arrow doesn't have the the option of, there are no movie roots, um, they're branching off. They're saying, Okay, we're gonna set up Barry Allen here. Mm-hmm. We're gonna 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 introduce some of these other characters here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Caitlin Snow, uh, Cisco and stuff. And then next season, they're going to have their own show, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we're going to give Barry powers at that point or we've given him now, but he'll reveal them whatever. Yeah. Um. It, to me, it's it's a fundamentally different dynamic. They did enough in Arrow to create enough interest in me that I will tune into Flash. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm expecting those to have a very different sensibility to them. Arrow staying a little bit more nighttime, a little more dark. Mm-hmm. Flash being much more the daylight, daytime, bright, heroic hero. Well, and my understanding, based on what we saw of Barry Allen in Arrow, is he works with the police department mm-hmm. at a day job. So I'm expecting a bit more of the procedural with that one. He'll oh. still be interacting with cases. It's funny because both of them are going to feature a cop who has a daughter. Mm-hmm romantically linked to the hero yeah whether successfully or not another matter um so there's again yeah. some, some parallels i don't say formula there because i don't think that's Mm-mm. the case but i'm curious are we going to have characters bounce between the two um flash has a much stronger tie to well actually the barry allen not so much i was gonna say to the teen titans and such um then then uh, then green arrow but really uh, no, I'm going to stick with that because both had sidekicks. In Green Arrow's case, it was Roy Harper who became Speedy, then Arsenal, then, you know, whatever, uh, who was a member of the Teen Titans on and off. But Flash's sidekick, Kid Flash, uh, Wally West, mm-hmm. and we're already getting Iris, and, and they're setting up the scene for enough of Wally West there that we could eventually get him, um, was a core member of the Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. He routinely fought Deathstroke. Brother Blood, Ravager, that kind of stuff. Um, so we'll, we'll see how those tie in. But the fact that they're going to have 
two shows by the same executive producers with the sensibility that is really doing some fun world building who are fleshing out the world and not just referencing it. Yeah. And there are a few times, yeah, they toss a Ferris aircraft logo somewhere. Hey, isn't that a cool Easter egg? Yes. They could have used any name there. It doesn't really matter. But it's it's fun. Mm-hmm. But then when they pull in, you know, Deadshot and these other characters and, and flush it out and, and get to where they... I mean, if they wanted to spin off a Hunter series, yeah, maybe they could, maybe they couldn't. Suicide Squad, yeah, they probably could. Black Canary, yeah, they probably could. See, I think Huntress is the least likely for me of the ones you just mentioned, just because she she's very flawed, she's very human, and yet she was the least humanized of the characters. But if they were to take Huntress and Black Canary, pair them with Felicity in another city, you've essentially rebuilt the Birds of Prey. True, but Huntress, who, as I recall, just murdered her father and is in jail. You'd have to do a little clean up on the character, granted. I'm just yeah. saying we've seen that show literally yes. in Birds of Prey. Yes. You know, different yeah, just... characters, different. I mean, well, actually, it was the Huntress that, that was starring in that. Yes. You know, along with a, a uh, almost prototypical uh, uh, teenage black canary and Batgirl, who was essentially playing the Felicity Smoke role. Yeah. As, as the tech lead. Well, as they said in this um, Hood to Hero special, you know, Huntress was a cautionary tale. Yes. For well, Oliver. The fact that they've got characters going through arcs, both in the modern and on the island in the past, and they can do counterpoints both across the two time frames and between the, if, if you're not careful, you'll go where this other character in your current time frame is going. Mm-hmm. You know, and playing the two off each other. Mm-hmm. You've got Oliver, who was trained by, not heroes, but not villains, uh, mercenaries, not assassins, whereas Black Canary, League of Assassins. Yeah. And she flat out references that at one point. Yeah. You know, which again, they're going to bring in Rachel Ghoul at some point. That's going to be fun. Well, they and brought I'm, in Talia already. I was going to say, I really liked how they've already brought in the League of Assassins. You know, I don't know what I expected being a non-comic book reader of the League of Assassins. But when Canary called them in to bring backup, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm expecting, I guess, a group of murderers. <laughs> and they come in to support the heroes and to help win the battle. And they come across as the good guys. They've got a code of conduct. Again, Merlin presumably may or may not be tied into that group. In the comics, he certainly was. And in the comics... I'm not sure where that group originated. I know one of the earlier places I had encountered them was in um, in the 80s, really same place I, I first read some of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow stuff. DC, it was before trade paperbacks came out. That's how, how old I am and how long ago this was. Um, so since they didn't really have that vehicle for reprinting stuff, they did kind of double-sized but still saddle-stitched, you know, stapled uh, comic books that had like two reprint issues or whatever. Mm-hmm. And these were on uh, a higher paper stock, whatever. Um, I'm trying to think if this was the Baxter type stuff. There was a term for it. It eludes me at the moment. But anyways, they had the Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and they were reprinting the classic uh, Neil Adams, uh, I think it was him at least, era of, of that stuff. But then they also reprinted Dead Man. And it was something that ran for seven, eight issues there. So total of probably twice that number of is- or original issues mm-hmm. earlier. 
And one of the lead, uh, not lead, but one of the, the focal characters in that, in addition to the lead character of Dead Man, was Hook, a member of the League of Assassins, who had killed Dead Man. Dead Man, Boston Brand, was an acrobat who got killed as, as somebody who was just trying out for the League of Assassins. <laughs> and Go saves other people as Who Killed Me is part of the central mystery of the whole mm-hmm. thing. Um, so that's where that group really, hmm. to me, came into prominence. Mm-hmm. But they've probably shown up elsewhere. But since you've already got the League of Assassins brought in, the whole concept of, and you've already introduced, not quite yet, but so- soon when we get the pilot of the Flash, the concept of super speed and powers and, and strange things, mm-hmm. could they bring in Boston Brand? Circus comes through town, he gets killed, who done it? Oh, it was a member of, or a wannabe member of the League of Assassins. But Boston Brand, meanwhile, after we get the introduction, is body hopping between people. Mm. Could be fun. Yes, yes. Also, would kind of set the scene, not that they're going to do it yet, but Slade's son, Joe, if he were to ever become Jericho, is also a body hopper. Difference is, he's not dead. So, again... How much of this world building are they going to do? What direction are they going to go? I don't know, but they're making some really good choices, I think. Well, and I'm curious if Joe will show up in the coming season on either show, given he was totally absent while Dad was going crazy this season. It was five years ago he was mentioned as uh, Wintergreen being his godfather or whatever. Don't know how old the character was at the time certainly could show up as a teenager or thereabouts now mm-hmm. um yeah and i'd like to see them do that but i'd also hate to see them do that because that's a character i want over in the titans that, show over on it. tnt okay i'll grant you that it comes down to who's producing that how nice can these companies play together mm-hmm. and if if dc entertainment can through somebody like jeff john's creative uh director over at DC Comics, or maybe DC Entertainment, I forget which, if they can finagle getting all of these disparate companies uh, and production companies to play nice yes. and yes. cooperatively, man, they're golden. Yeah. Because now it's not a matter of, well, you've got the Marvel Studios movie franchises, and then X-Men, and then you know mm-hmm. Fantastic Four, and then Spider-Man. Separate, distinct things. If you've got it to where, yeah, you're watching an ever-building TV narrative universe. It'd be amazing. It'd be great. Up until the point, characters have aged out, they need to reboot, and, you know. Yeah. And I'm curious how Marvel's going to handle that with the movies in, in another couple of years, another decade. Yeah. And we're already back to, you know, a, a, essentially a rebooted Spider-Man. They've rebooted kind of, sort of, but not quite the Hulk. Um, actually, you could, uh, depending how, you, yeah, probably not, actually. X-Men just went backwards in time. Uh, X-Men's had the most interesting approach to this. Yeah. Where they just have stratified the thing across multiple decades. Yeah. Okay. That works, sort of. Um, it's fun. I'm willing to forgive some of that, not even forgive, but accept some of that based on its its entertaining stories. Yeah, definitely. And week in, week out, Arrow has been delivering that. These are solid stories that are fun, are building on one another. It's it's a good balance between the episodic and the serial nature. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting the fun little Easter eggs here and there. There are a couple of things that are actually having some serious payoff and ramifications. And, ooh, wow, that's cool. They brought this character in. Well, and talking about ramifications, I'm very curious to see how... Season three is going to start up with Thea 
and uh, Merlin. Thea and Merlin, what's going to happen with Roy? What's the status quo for, for Ollie and stuff? Um, when they bring in uh, Ray Palmer, what's going to happen there? You know, they've they've got a lot of things to, to really play through that they've just teased at so far. Mm-hmm. And who knows where we're going to be by the end of the season. Well, and going back to questions of is this or is it not from the comics, um, when did Oliver's mother die in the comics? That is a little bit of a difficult question to, to answer. Because there are probably multiple continuities, but... That's a lot of it, and that's part of why... In my company, I work at... The company I work at, I don't own it or anything crazy like that, jeez. <laughs> Um, there was a trivia contest, and one of the, the categories that was announced was DC and Marvel comic heroes. And literally, my phone started ringing off the hook when that was announced. I mean, not but literally. Uh, I got an email. Somebody walked by. Hey, I was recruited by multiple teams. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, when the, the trivia contest came around, the number of comic questions were minimal. But part of why it's challenging to do trivia questions on comics is multiple continuities. Mm-hmm. When did Green Arrow's mother die? I don't really know the whole Golden Age version mm-hmm. of the character. It showed up a bit. At that point, I don't even think that the parents were ever referenced. Okay. It's just, here's a rich guy. He's got a bow and arrow. Yeah, yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. You know, presumably he had parents. He's there. He must have. No, he sprang from the earth, fully grown. You you laugh at that, but uh, one or two characters did do that. Uh, yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl, uh, two examples. Um, Roy Harper, orphan. Therefore, mm-hmm. may as well have. Okay. Not fully grown, but mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Um, In the more recent comics, I don't really think it was until the New 52 run where we started getting references to the parents, the father who was currently owning the, the Q Consolidated or whatever they were calling the company there and whatnot. Um, I think we've gotten some references to Moira by name once Jeff Lemire took over. Um, but really, most of the stuff they're doing with the family, particularly the the legacy, the 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 the, the fix my sins mm. sort of a thing, mm. new with the show. Interesting. And you know, some of the names they pull in from bits and pieces. I think Thea's middle name of Dearborn is got a connection to Roy Harper or some such, and trivial like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But really, the biggest thing of everything that happens at the Queen Estate that really has strong uh, a connection to previous superhero DC lore is the estate itself, which was Luthor Mansion in Smallville for 10 seasons, <laughs> or a number of seasons yeah. at least. Um, but yeah, they're doing with Oliver Queen essentially what a Bruce Wayne show would have done later in his life than Gotham's taking. Gotham takes place, like, it seems to start the night his parents get shot. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, this is the equivalent to it's 10, 15 years later, he's moving back to Gotham. Mm-hmm. You know, in this case, Ollie was on the island. They give a different backstory. But, again, so many parallels at an almost iconic thematic level. Yeah. That it, it just makes sense and it just works. Well, and, I mean, the death of a parent, the death of both parents, it's so affects a person and last season the death of tommy at the end of the season motivated him to change to say i can't be a murderer anymore because that was how tommy viewed him and in the second season moira had that great scene where she said i know the truth about you i've always been Mm -hmm. proud of you 
and then she gets killed. Well, in a scene that also does a very strong callback to Shadow's death earlier in the season. Yes. So I don't know if they had already said, sketched out, this is what's going to happen to Moira. So let's set it up this way here. Because Ivo's whole bit right there, a little out of the blue. A little out of the blue, but then Ivo's kind of nuts. More than kind of, but yeah. So, because tonight when we were rewatching the island scenes, I did ask you, is it just out of the blue or did I miss the lead up to the, and now I'm just going to kill one girl or the other, choose. There, well... At that point, he'd already shot the captain. So I think they had already set up, he was a wee bit judgmental. True. And prone to doing kind of rash things. He was probably the closest we've gotten to what I would consider an archetypal Batman villain. Mm. Wee bit nuts and totally somewhat unpredictable. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're just a powder keg waiting to go off in some respect. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be one of the... Th- fun things seeing how they set the scene of all of that with uh, with Gotham mm. so um, again the, the the Blu-ray set for season 2 I think well worth picking up for Arrow yeah the special features are wonderful uh, we haven't watched some of the others the special effects and whatnot. I'm really looking forward to those yeah they've done just a, a really tight job on all of that and all of the arrows are digital according to what they said first season yes all the ones they fire the CGI yeah well, I loved how I think it was one of the executive producers basically outlined quite succinctly just how dangerous an actual arrow would be to have on set. Yeah, anything goes wrong, that thing goes flying who knows where, and it could, could really hurt somebody. So there are no actual arrows on set. They have basically something that looks like an arrow is cocked. They've got a, a trick tricked-out bow that has kind of a permanently cocked arrow. You cannot fire the thing. It's just wired up. Uh, So that way when they've got the thing pulled, they could just let go and nothing's going to happen. I'm sure there's there's outtake footage of that. Yeah. Um, Stephen Amell seems like enough of a character that if that's safe to do, he's gonna. Um, And then just the arrows they've got in hand. And I'm sure some of those are very sharp looking, but very foam. Yeah. Or, you know, fake of some sort. Yeah, but I was impressed when they were saying every single arrow is CGI. Well, and just the number of explosions, uh, some of the angles they do for, you know, the the visual stunts and whatnot. Just the editing is is smooth. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been been very pleased with the show. Um, Definitely recommend it. A lot of fun. If you like the stuff, if you want to read the comics, again, they did a digital series that later got printed uh, for Arrow itself, set in this continuity. But then, depending what sort of Green Arrow story you want, mm-hmm. there's everything from uh, Longbow Hunters, um, Green Arrow the Longbow Hunters, the Grell did, the Grell run of Green Arrow, which is phenomenal, um, featuring a little, not a little, a lot older Green Arrow than we get with Ollie, because this guy's like 45 or 50-ish. Um, bit grumpier, uh, at times Black Canary's there, at times she's not. Um, then there was a more recent series where the two lead up to when they get married, and that was a lot of fun. Um, it just comes down to what aspect are you liking about the show and, and where to go pull that from. Mm-hmm. And again, if you like some of the themes, some of the stories, some of the takes, again, with season two, some of what they do with Deathstroke, if you haven't read the Teen Tit- New Teen Titans Judas Contract, go read that. It's great stuff. And I think you'll see a lot of the parallels. 
See, and I think it's cool that they are pulling from the whole DC universe. And they put in the opening credits, it's based on the characters created by DC Comics. Yeah. I, I'm, I know they have to get permission from DCs to what characters they can and can't use. It seems like they're pretty much unfettered other than do they get a yes or a no. Yeah, it's. I'm very impressed with everything they're doing. I'm very happy with the show. I just, you know, it blows me away when I pull out those flashback scenes and keep them in order as they come from the yeah. episodes and it forms up to a two-hour movie. That's just extraordinary writing. Well, and it plays really well back-to-back versus snippets a, a week over the course of, of almost a year. Yeah. Anything else? Or does that pretty much do it? That does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.